0: Hello world, this is Colby Baz on KTWHLP 99.5 FM in Two Harbors, Minnesota and streaming online at ktwh.org. Welcome to Energetic Talk, brought to you by a partnership of Clean Energy Resource Teams and Two Harbors Community Radio. I'm excited to bring you conversations about clean energy and get your questions answered by our guests from near and far. Today we are talking about energy, and agriculture with my guest, David Abaz. Welcome, David. I'd love to have you start by just introducing yourself.
1: Great to be here. Uh, my name's David Abaz, and I work for the Northeast Regional Sustainable Development Partnership, or the RSDP, uh, and I'm one of five directors around the state. Ours is the Northeast, but we have four other rural uh, areas throughout the state that work with communities and university expertise and bring them together to do projects around sustainability. And one of our focus areas is clean energy in, in collaboration with CERTs and all that comes forward with that kind of energy and that kind of connections that CERTs has been throughout the state. So the other three areas of Focus includes sustainable agriculture and food systems, also resilient communities and natural resources. And a lot of times this clean energy aspect comes into many or all of the other focus areas.
0: Yeah, so that seems like a a pretty broad area set of work and a broad scope of work, but a lot of overlap, as you said. Yeah. I'm interested in this conversation to focus a lot on clean energy and agriculture, because I know you have an extensive background in agriculture. And so, I mean, many of us, I think, are familiar with big wind turbines they put on agricultural land and are still able to farm the land around the turbines or more recently there's a lot of the big solar farms going up on agricultural land that um, maybe just has wildflowers or natural habitat underneath but i know there's a lot of other connections with energy in agriculture and how farming is done so maybe if you could Elaborate a little bit more on what some of those are and the most significant ones in your experience.
1: Uh, sure, you know, and and at this point, then I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you my other hat. Uh, my wife and I and our family have run Round River Farm uh, in northern Minnesota, outside of the town of Finland, Minnesota. Our life farming here has been experimenting with. How do we reduce the amount of inputs into the farming while get as much outputs like food and energy in the form of calories out into our communities? And so uh, we've decided and been working on the last 33 years, an experiment on how to create this farming system that's off the grid and as sustainable as possible. So that hat with the sustainability work with the partnerships brings me with you know, contact with other projects as well. Yeah, there's projects we're working on, exactly what you're talking about. With big wind generators solar gardens, things like that, but in some ways, solar on farms is great because there's lots of space, but uh, the soil is really good to grow food too, so there's that compromise, how how to make that work. So having solar gardens that also have enriching soils and deepening carbon sequestering, then that could be a really good match for our world. Um, On our farm, one of our biggest challenges was just the amount of soil and the organic Uh, percentage of our soil. We had such little organic matter in our soil when we started that literally when we grew our first crops, they grew a couple inches and then died. Um, We had less than a half percent of organic matter. And when you extrapolate the amount of carbon in that soil, of that original soil we came to, we're looking at about 5,000 pounds per acre of carbon sequestered in that soil. And so what we've been working on is how to build the organic matter, cause about 58% of organic matter, that is something you can test for in your soils, 58% is carbon. And so, through the years, we were able to get it up to 1%, 3%, 5%, and now we're up to 15 to 18% organic matter. And so that same acre that used to hold 5,000 pounds of carbon now can hold 174,000 pounds of carbon. It's quite extraordinary. So the challenge is with all organic matter is it's being chewed up by the organisms in the soil, and as it gets chewed up and consumed and nutrients released, so we can grow food, it's exhaling and creating a carbon loss through the mineralization. So it, it's important that you create an agriculture system that builds organic matter and then holds it stable. Agriculture throughout the, the country used to be clearly land would have about 5% organic matter, but now it's about 1% or 2%. So we should have as a nation a minimum goal of 5% organic matter and double or either quadruple the amount of carbon saved in our soil that, that's in there currently. So soil is just one kind of cool aspect of how agriculture could be the solution, not just 34% of the problem, which agriculture is worldwide, about 35% of the carbon contribution.
0: Maybe we'll come back to that piece of kind of how agriculture contributes to energy uses and carbon output. You often hear about like, oh, planting forests as carbon sequestration into those trees. And I've always had that thought of like, well, then what happens when you cut the tree down? But potentially you turn that tree into like a building or something that it kind of maintains that carbon in the wood. But you haven't heard much conversation, or I haven't, about actually storing the carbon in the soil. And if you're talking like a large amount of carbon that's stored in a relatively small family farm that you have. I mean, looking at that broader scale where you said it was kind of 1% to 2% now, how much carbon would that be relative to kind of outputs of the United States to do all of the United States farmland up to that 5%?
1: Right. I actually have that number on a slide. I can't recall, but um, of all the carbon that's released every year in the atmosphere, A great majority is sequestered naturally in a natural carbon cycle. But what's happened with the burning of fossil fuels, the loss of organics in our soils has been a release, a net release every year, creating more and more carbon in the atmosphere. And so what soil sequestering would do is create a larger bank of carbon that would be held, uh, reducing either the percentage of of extra carbon going in the atmosphere by holding more and more in the soil, or at some point could even reduce the carbon in the atmosphere. But unless we deal with the the extraction of carbon from the mantle in the form of fossil fuels and other, um, we're always going to be increasing to some degree. Agriculture will help buffer it and maybe lessen the challenge. Um, and eventually, uh, create a stable bank of carbon in a, in a more sustained carbon cycle. But we really have to address the other issues. And one thing to mention before we get into those other issues, as you mentioned, is a forest is a really good way, a healthy forest, that is, to hold biomass. That's holding it more in the carbon, in the structure of the, of the plants. Now, but all plants have roots. So, when you cut the trees down, yes, if you burn it for firewood, like i 'm standing right now next to our firewood our fireplace, um, then that carbon is released, um, but it 's also pulled back in by the next tree that grows, so mm-hmm. that can become sustainable and when you cut the forest down, what 's left are all those roots in the soil, and as long as it 's not abused and uh, the bacteria just mineralize it all and release it all. That is also part of the carbon capture of the forest. And so, you know, that's other aspects that we're doing as well as trying to figure out how to build more carbon, more forests in marginal lands that might not be great at holding carbon. And try and figure out how to build both the agriculture land and the forest land uh, to be a complete system. Uh, and so that's another aspect uh, that we're also looking at through our forestry project, through our climate forward tree species project, where we have farmers growing seedlings for the next generation of of trees. So it's Really being comprehensive on how do we build that sink, that base, because what the coolest thing is when you do all these things to build a healthier forest or a better, more highly organic farm is there's so many other benefits as we have the effects of climate change with increased uh, rainfall and intensity of amounts, you have more and more challenges to that fragile soil. But with 5% organic matter in the soil, that can take a six inch rainstorm and suck it in, absorb it. And so there's all these other gains. And what else happens with a good organic matter? We grow more food. So carbon sequestering in an agriculture thing is a win-win-win situation. And so that's what's pretty cool with some of these solutions. There's also other great advantages, like a healthy forest is all the wildlife and the systems that live within it. So yeah. so it can be quite positive.
0: Yeah, so it seems like it's not a golden egg as far as kind of the carbon excess in the air, but would... Help it and be a part of the solution, and has all these other amazing benefits along the way. Yep, indeed. So circling back around to you'd mentioned that agriculture as an industry is one of a pretty large contributors to kind of the carbon added to the atmosphere. Could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on kind of what parts. And obviously, there's like the tractors and the vehicles and whatnot. Right. And so, is that right. where most of that comes from?
1: Well, a a decent percentage is like what they call up to the gate of the farm. What is consumed to run that farm? And as we tried to increase yields, we then added uh, fertilizers. Um, And uh, nitrogen fertilizer production is one of the most uh, energy-intensive carbon-producing parts of agriculture. So you have the inputs like pesticides and fertilizers and herbicides. Um, and then you have the mechanical, the tractor and the other parts, whether it's from electricity or fuels. Um, so you have those parts of the farm. But then you move it somewhere and you have the truck that moves it and it moves it from the farm to a hub and then a distribution center and then a grocery store, perhaps. And then someone drives to pick it up. And then you have that whole transportation aspect or the processing of the food, um, the boiling and the, the canning and the all the metals that get involved And that agriculture portion doesn't count all of those things, but it counts a significant amount of those things, uh, all contributing to that carbon footprint of agriculture, um, and the, the larger scale agriculture that's happening, there's a little higher percentage each year of the farm percentage. I think it's up 21% now in our country of farm carbon uh, increasing from 19% as we need to bring more inputs into the agriculture system. So how do you help solve that? How do you help create solutions? Yes, you can create the power to power your farm with solar and wind, and that's that's ultimately important. And then there's other ways on reducing those types of inputs, or changing the form of those inputs. So our farm is solar powered, and it's wind powered. And so we have electricity But we still use about 15 to 20 gallons of fuel every year for our walking tractor. And so we have designs to electrify that tractor. We haven't done it yet, but the cool thing is we did just put a down payment on buying an electric tractor. Brand new, spanking new, 100% electric tractor that will continue our work both in our fields and our forests and uh, it's actually going to be coming this spring. And so the power of our farm and our forestry will be electrical. Now, if we're hooked up to the power grid, a bunch of that electricity is going to be from coal or, you know, nuclear, and that has all sorts of other environmental challenges with it, um, natural gas, uh, as well as some renewables. And so as we look at um, hooking up our tractor, our new electric tractor to that, um, then it's part of the solution. But we have a solar system. If we hook it up to our solar system, then we're getting much deeper into a more complete uh, solar-generated, uh, solar solar-powered system and getting rid of a lot of the carbon inputs. So that's, that's just really one me. example.
0: If you are just tuning in, this is Energetic Talk with Colby Abaz on KTWH 99.5 FM, radio with a lake view. Today we are talking with David Abaz about energy and agriculture. So let's get back to the interview.
1: You know, the other thing I mentioned was transportation. Is how do we move our food around? Well, we, we chose to use a car instead of a truck. Why? Because a car on a whole gets better gas mileage. What we did was we hooked up trailers, which during the time the car is pulling the trailer, it's a little not as good gas mileage, but still actually better than the truck. So that was one mechanism. But then you take it that step further, and you can then use waste vegetable oil. And we did that with one of our cars. We converted it to waste vegetable oil from restaurants. Uh, cleaned it, and separated it the water.
0: smelled
1: out. good. Oh well, it, did, it it was good advertisement for the restaurants. Ours was more of a um, in a egg roll type smell, where others end up going to McDonald's because they smell it driving by, <laughs> and uh, so that's another way. There's enough waste vegetable oil for about two million cars in our country produced today wow. uh, in each year, and so. That takes it a step farther. But if you really want to take it a step farther yet, is I would argue, uh, the Amish have this right, is to use horse-powered or oxen power. And, yeah, they'll say, you know, compared to our electric tractor, that's old school. But about one in ten farms in our country is animal-powered. 200,000 farms in our country are animal-powered. And, again, when you start looking at some of these real solutions, guess what? now we have manure now we have other aspects that feed into the agricultural system so we really have to take a look at what we're doing how we're doing it and um you know what types of systems and at what scale will be most important for building a truly sustainable energy system so that agriculture will become not only a net zero carbon but Part of the long term solution by sequestering uh, as we build our soils.
0: Wow, that's all sorts of new things. I mean, hearing a lot about electric vehicles, and we've talked previously on the show about electric vehicles, but hearing that that's moving into the tractor space as well and even like available now, that's very exciting. And then horsepower, I never would have thought that that many farms in the United States are still powered by animals. Directly. Yep.
1: About 160,000 of those are Amish and Mennonite. It's so about okay. 40,000, what, what the Amish call Englishmen, uh, <laughs> who have horsepower. And it's mostly in the northeast of the country and the northwest, but it's spotted throughout the country. And we did have a draft horse here for years, uh, but we found our fields were actually too small and we didn't get enough work out of the horse. Uh, but I sure do
0: miss that manure. Right. Help that soil fertilization and carbon. Yep. So I'm curious, you mentioned earlier the concept of kind of counting the calories of food produced as kind of a form of energy. Obviously, as far as a human diet is concerned, at least a healthy one, not all calories are equal. (laughs) But I find that very like a, a different way of approaching it as far as like, oh, a farm's producing x number of calories of product of food like what are the calories of energy that goes into producing that Um, because Mm -hmm. you can make mathematical conversions between like calories and watts for electricity or btus for fuel-based systems do you know any of those comparisons or kind of what it looks like as far as calories in, calories out for food?
1: Well, yeah, and uh, the number I know is probably from years back, and I bet it's worse now. Uh, Generally, uh, in a typical conventional farm, it was uh, 10 calories in for one calorie out. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so if you really want to build a sustainable system, you really need to get that closer (laughs) to even and then you have to look at what type of calories are they um and so uh, cal myself working on the farm i'm expending calories and those right. are energy <laughs> calories pr- produced and from food theoretically
0: like you better be producing more calories than you're using right. otherwise you die <laughs>
1: Yep. Yep. So we'd be in a net loss all the time if I was able, if I couldn't produce more calories by my actions. So, uh, so typically, you know, um, you can produce a lot more calories from your calorie by growing food because you're also adding all that other energy, the energy in the soil, the uh, whatever other inputs you're having. And so again, same tractor. One tractor is run by fuel, one's by electricity. They're both can be counted in calories, energy calories. But electricity is a form of calorie that can be converted through solar. So there you add that renewable aspect to that calorie chain. So it's not only the ratio, it's the what calories are actually used. To know whether we're going to have a net gain because uh, mm-hmm. these types of farms we, use, we grow uh, are more labor intensive uh, because they're more productive per square foot and you can't actually fit a lot of the equipment once you get the, the so plants more people in the ground. So there's more people calorie which are fed by those same food calories you've just produced which is a much more cyclical and tight system. Um, But if we were to use uh, and we do use some calories from, say, minerals that have been extracted in China or in Africa and they're brought here, then that's a whole different type of calorie. You've now created a less of a tight, less of a circular form of energy. And uh, and so you have to really look at your systems How to create circles, not lines, and how to create tight, efficient systems. And then of how are those systems powered? And Mm -hmm. on our farm, we've been experimenting with wind, solar, and people uh, power. Um, And the more we base everything on solar, because wind is a form of solar Power because it creates the wind differentials. <laughs> Same uh, way I was air thinking, differences. Like,
0: a lot of the inputs for, like, plants, if you think of, well, I put so many people calories into growing the food. I have to get more than that out to feed myself. Right. A lot of that, I wonder, in the olden times is the yep. sun, like the sun <laughs> – yeah, it's not just the older the times.
1: It's, so. it's 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 that's what's happening right now. And interestingly enough, you know, our most needed fertilizer in agriculture, nitrogen, um, is produced by lightning. And ten huh. percent of the planet's nitrogen that hits the ground and fertilizes our forests is from lightning storms. So I always wondered what happens in the areas of the world that don't see a lot of lightning. And the, the West Coast, uh, Alaska, is a lot of that area that doesn't have lightning storms. And I was wondering, how does that ecosystem get nitrogen? And this is just, just uh, observational. I don't know how this uh, is researched or even looked at, but I did notice the understory of the Alaskan forest is a lot of alder. Alder is not a legume, but it does fix nitrogen. And so 10% of the world's nitrogen comes from lightning. The rest is recycled uh, locally and otherwise, or in the case where we're trying to produce so much food and we've uh, lost our fertility in our soil, we're bringing in energy through making nitrogen, which takes a lot of energy because if it's lightning that makes nitrogen because it right. basically <laughs> burns through the air and pulls the, the parts out and recombines them into nitrate or nitrite. Um, and that's a lot of energy, as we know with lightning. Um, and so that's why it takes so much fossil fuels or so much energy inputs to make nitrogen because you're actually so, pulling it out of the air.
0: I guess the age-old problem of how can we harness the power of lightning has been solved. We already <laughs> are in the form of nitrogen.
1: Yeah, we do, but that's at a huge cost to the environment with fossil fuels. Um, so somehow we still got to figure out how to, uh, if we want to go the Benjamin Franklin route, is figure out how we can actually grab that. Could if we could figure out that technology, we'd have some other great... Uh, Long term uh, ability to power the things we need.
0: Yeah, definitely. Do you have something that, like, kind of our listeners, if they're really excited about this topic and, like, oh, wanting to do it, to get involved, to see what they can do to help improve our kind of carbon sequestration and agricultural energy system? What's something folks could do today to participate and make a difference?
1: Well, one thing they could do is most people have a yard or a part of a yard or have access to areas that they could help improve is to increase the amount of biomass in the forest in the yard diversity uh, to help deal with the challenges with weather, but also to provide that long-term health of the soil and the, the amount of carbon sequestered. So they can do something on their own in their own space. They can support farms that are building organic matter uh, they can do all sorts of things that will enhance um, uh, the, the movement towards sustainable agriculture and food systems. So those are things they can do. It's, it's what they can do themselves, and it's what they can do uh, it, with their power of the dollar and the power of their values and their priorities. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to approach buying local uh, buying from farms that are building those soils, uh, that not only helps uh, with the energy, it helps with the social aspects of circling that money as well in the community. Because we export about a billion dollars a year from Northeast Minnesota out into other places around the world where we bring our food in and we bring our processed food in. If we were to create a local food system that produced all of our own food within our region, we can hold that billion dollars and all that energy and all that other thing within and keep that cycle within our region. And so we have to look at that with energy, food, our water systems really good up here, uh, all the systems that we need to live, you know, our housing, how do we capture that, um, hold that in our homes, uh, build sustainability, but it's at an ecological level, And it's at an economical level. And most importantly, it sustains us socially.
0: Wow. I think that was a great way to end the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. That was David Abaz talking with us about energy and agriculture. Listen to this and all past shows online anytime at mncerts.org slash energetic talk. If you have any questions you would like answered on the show, please email them to colby at Teams.org. Thank you for joining us in Energetic Talk. Special thanks goes to Carlisle Evans-Peck for the theme song and our featured artist, Pig's Eye Landing. I hope you enjoyed listening to KTWH 99.5 FM, and we'll tune back in Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sunday at 1.30 on the air or online at ktwh.org. This is Colby Abaz signing off.